We're into the fifth Sunday of this series, and next week is Palm Sunday, and so we'll wrap up the series next week as we look at the last week of Christ, his final week before the cross. I want to do that because I think that week is incredibly significant. There's a lot of things that happen there. But before we get to there, we have to look at one more thing that Jesus did that that really made people uncomfortable. And that is how Jesus took his time, took effort, took criticism in order to spend time with less desirable people. And so I called this, this sermon this Sunday that I just can't even... I don't know if you've heard that expression. There's a couple of people, a couple of celebrities use it a lot. Yeah, I just, I just can't even process. I just can't even understand. I just can't even accept that these things would happen. And, and as I think about Christ and how he chose to spend his time and where he spent his time and who he was with, there are times when I go, I just cannot even understand why he would choose to do that. And it makes... Loving Jesus a little harder, and it makes imitating Christ really difficult. See, here's the thing. When Jesus came to earth, he came in the most inappropriate ways. He came to earth through the womb of a woman. He was born a baby. And that alone is just difficult to understand because why in the world would God choose to enter the world that way? He could think of a thousand different ways to show up, but I'm going to come through childbirth. Now, for some of you younger, you have this to look forward to later on in life, but for those of us that are parents and grandparents, we've been around childbirth. It ain't pretty. It's not comfortable uh, for all people involved. Um, it's a little dangerous. And it can be scary. And it's, above all things, it is humbling. All of your discomfort, all of your vulnerability, all of your fears get kind of packed into one day in order to bring a child into the world. And yet God said, this is how I'm going to arrive I'm not coming in a limo. I'm not coming through the clouds on a chariot with horses. Scotty is not beaming me down. Childbirth, that's the way I want to arrive. It just seems so inappropriate. And we talked about how Christ did inappropriate things. But then when Christ arrives and he starts into his ministry and he starts doing things, he does some inappropriate things. And of course, Julie helped us last week to understand that the miracles themselves were just sometimes bizarre and unexplainable and wonderful at the same time and demonstrated that this isn't just another great teacher, just, not just another guy. But then on top of that, we see that he chooses to be around people and spend time with people who are rather inappropriate. Now, I don't know if any of you had this experience when you were in high school, but I, I did. I had a friend in high school, I'm not going to mention his name, because he may be out there on the internet, and when this goes out on our podcast, might go, oh, so, that's what you thought of me, huh? 
But I had a friend in high school, and he was a fun guy to be around. This guy had lots of energy. He was, he was just a high-energy guy, extroverted, and he was an incredible risk-taker. And I started hanging out with him, and my parents finally came to me one night, and they said, you know, we're a little bit concerned about you spending time with your friend. And I said, well, why? As though I didn't know. And they said, you know, we're afraid that, that you two are going to end up doing things you shouldn't do. No, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm, I'm a good kid. Mom and Dad, you can trust me. And they knew better. And so eventually the day came where we were in a position where we had some choices to make and we made some really bad choices and we chose to do some things that were unwise and we paid the price for it. So we got in trouble. And again, sat down with my mom and dad and my mom and dad really went out of their way to to not tell me who I could or could not be friends with. They were very accepting of, of my friends, all of them. But this guy, he just had a knack. And maybe you know these kind of people. They just have an ability or a talent to find something that is risky and probably shouldn't be doing and say, hey, let's go do that. And uh, we, we got in trouble. We took a car that wasn't ours. We borrowed it. And he was driving, and neither of us had driver's licenses. And we tapped the bumper of another car. I'm putting it in pretty nice terms. And of course, we got, we got busted. And I, never, I can never remember my parents saying, you're hanging out with the wrong kids. I can never remember my parents saying, we don't want you spending time with him. But I remember them over and over again saying, what's going to happen when you guys keep doing these kinds of things? And I I know, I mean, if we had continued down that path, it would have been handcuffs and things like that. Some of you probably identify with that in some strong ways. So hanging out with these people that seemed somewhat inappropriate. The interesting thing was this guy went to church with me. And so my mom and dad said, okay, you can hang out with them. But they talked to me over and over again. What are you going to do when you're with them? Well, here's Jesus. and, And Jesus comes to earth and We understand that he's fully God and he's fully human. We went through that and uh, how that works, this incarnation thing. And then he goes and he hangs out in the wrong places with the wrong people. I mean, at one point, they leave him beside a well and he ends up talking to this Samaritan woman. And this is sort of a double whammy, triple whammy kind of a thing because she's a woman and it was kind of beneath men at the time to talk to strange women or culturally inappropriate. She was a Samaritan, so she was kind of a, a, a mixed ethnicity that was looked down on by the Jewish people. She's not of pure blood. And then the triple whammy is she is a woman of ill repute. She is not a woman who has lived her life in the most wholesome ways. But Jesus talks to her. Oh my goodness. The the disciples come back and they go, what are you thinking? I just can't even. Or another time. 
Jesus is gathering followers behind him. And he's got some followers who came because they had been followers of his cousin John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, you know, this is really the Christ. You should follow him. And he had other followers like like, uh, Peter and John that he called. That they were just kind of work-a-day, blue-collar guys. And then he calls this guy Matthew. He sees this guy, Matthew, and Matthew is a tax collector. Now, in the United States, we only have a fraction of an appreciation for how distasteful this was. I mean, let's face it. If there was a guy in our, or a lady in our congregation who was an auditor for the IRS, we'd go, that's okay. Somebody's got to do that job, and we want to make sure nobody's cheating on their taxes. However, if you had someone as a part of our congregation, and their job was not just to audit, but their job was to come to your house and knock on the door and go, it's tax time, and here's your bill, and you pay me. And on the way to the car, after you'd counted out the money, you saw them, and they were... You know, they were taking some of it and going, okay, that part is mine. Because that's what they were allowed to do. That's how they made a living. The Romans said, you collect tax for us and you take a cut for yourself. Well, just in economic terms, that's a little bit unpleasant because you realize that here's somebody living among us and they are taking our money, not just for the U.S. government, Let's make it a little bit more uncomfortable. They were occupied by the Romans. So think of it this way. is um, We're now paying taxes to Russia. And so the guy that comes to your house is going to give money to Putin. And on the way to the car, he's, not only is he doing the job for this foreigner, he's making coin off of it. So now there's, there's economic issues and discomfort matched with political issues and discomfort. This, this is a turncoat. This is a traitor. Typically, tax collectors did very well financially and very poorly socially. So you can imagine that this is not the guy we invite over for supper on Thursday night. This is not the guy you say, hey, do you want to go grab a cup of coffee? This is the guy you go, don't even come to our church. Don't even expect me to welcome you here. I just can't even. And Jesus goes to Matthew and says, follow me. And so in that kind of a climate, you can imagine the people to say, I cannot respect that. There's no way a good Jewish guy who's a teacher of the things of God, who's able to perform these kinds of miracles, is going to go and actually seek out that guy. Not just for a meal, but come and follow me and be part of my crew. That's rough. Cannot respect that. Well, let's read exactly what happened. Ah, I'm getting ahead of myself. As we think about Jesus and how he is, is in these places that seem like they are most inappropriate, around people that are inappropriate, we realize that it's not that he at this moment is what we would consider an exalted God. He's an unexalted God. I mean, he's not raised on high and everybody goes, wow, praise God, that's amazing. At this point in his ministry, people are going, wow, 
that's uncomfortable and like I said, I just can't even. In fact, it, for some people, it was repulsive. For some people, they would see Matthew there hanging out with Jesus and just shake their head and go, I don't think I can follow this. And it reminded me of this passage in Isaiah, which was a prophecy of Jesus' coming. And Isaiah says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. There are things about Jesus that people saw and said, No, thank you. We have a tendency, because of the perspective not only of time, but of the cross and the empty tomb, we see Jesus with welcoming eyes and welcoming hearts. But at the time, there were a lot of people that said, no, I cannot go there. And so they did not exalt him in their hearts. Now, next Sunday, on Palm Sunday, we'll see they did exalt him, and that was also a little inappropriate. But here's the passage about Matthew. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, it's not just Matthew, came and ate with him and his disciples. I'm just going to, okay, time out here. The whole dinner party are nasty people. Okay, we got that? We move on. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. Stories of the Bible. Jesus calls Matthew. This is Jesus. hey Who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. He did many miracles like calming storms and even raised people from the dead. Jesus was in Capernaum and he was walking along when he saw a tax collector named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Tax collectors were hated by everyone because many people thought they were cheaters and sinners. Oh, no one likes you. Let's get out of here. But Jesus saw this man and said, Follow me and be my disciple. Me? Yeah, you. So Matthew got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Matthew held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Uh, here. Oh, thank you. Many of Matthew's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Ugh, yuck. Hey, you! But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Ah, uh, hold on there. When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go on and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
So Matthew went on to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples and followed him throughout his time on earth. He even wrote a book in the Bible about Jesus' time on earth, and he served God for the rest of his life. All right, kind of a fun one since the kids are in here with us. Uh, I'm not sure that Jesus talked that way, but it's fun. We cannot say he didn't, that's true. Woohoo! Yeah. Right. So, why is it that Jesus chose to go so low? Why did he go to tax collectors and lepers that were cast outs? Why did he talk to women with bad reputations? And why did he start there? Why did he even hang out there at all? You see, in the kingdom of God, Christ himself demonstrates that this is not a top-down approach. It is a bottom-up And that's uncomfortable for some of us when we're not at the bottom. But when we are at the bottom, that is the hope of salvation. You know, when we're not at the bottom, we go, wow, you know, you're going to start with them. How about if we start with somebody that's a little bit more respectable, desirable, interesting, nice to be around. Years ago, some of our missionaries were working in the country of Hungary. And some of you know that that Bruce and Kay Klein from our church helped things get started in that country with our church. Communism had fallen. The Iron Curtain, that we used to call Iron Curtain, was gone. And we had an opportunity to go in there. And so we started sending some people, and Bruce and Kay were the first. After they went in there, then others came in behind them, and some friends of Kayleen and I went and they were missionaries there for a while and they lived in Budapest and they worked there in Hungary and they came back to the United States and they were visiting us at our home and we were talking about the ministry they were doing and they said, you know, we went in there and there were a lot of people who were not interested in hearing the story of Jesus. Not totally different to us over here. But they said, you know, they're just kind of closed off. There's, there, there's decades of communist rule and, and talking about spiritual things and being religious is not an acceptable thing. And so it's, it's unfamiliar to them. But then they said this, but they said, but we have found some people who welcome what we have to say and are willing to hang out with us. And I said, oh, that's great. So you've made some inroads. You've found a way to connect. And they said, well, it's kind of great because there are others around us that really do not like what we're doing. And they explained to us that the people they've connected with are called the Roma. As some of you know, see, all your heads are already nodding. The other word we use for them here in the United States are gypsies. In Europe, these are people that constantly move around. They are known for being corrupt and crooked. In fact, I was in Europe at one point. I was getting a photograph with a guy there just standing next to a guy, and he wanted some money for 
getting a picture with him. And I got my money out and Kayleen reached out and said, hey, you know, don't flash your money out here. Somebody might rip you off. And this guy, it was in Rome, Italy. And, and he goes, don't worry, ma'am, I'm no gypsy. Well, this is who our friends were doing ministry with. And they said, you know, they come to our church and they said they are poor and they're not educated and they're known for being crooked. They don't dress very well. And when things change and people get upset, they just pick up and move. But these are the people who come to church. So these are the people that we do ministry with. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, one of two things is going to happen. Either you are going to see that after a generation, people will no longer recognize them that way. Because we'll, once they encounter Christ, we're not going to live that way anymore. We're not going to cheat people. And they will no longer be identifiable by those terms. Or you're going to have one consolidated church among these people as a subculture. And I don't think either one of those are necessarily wrong. But I believe that the gospel tends toward going to the lowest first and then permeating its way up. And I think we can look at society after society where Christians carried the gospel in and it started with the lowest and worked its way up. You see, starting at that common place, for one thing, it it means that the gospel is something that people don't have to fear. It's, It's okay for those desperate people. I don't need it. But what happens is when those desperate people's lives begin to change and their desperation gives way to hope and peace and mercy, it moves up and people go, I don't know how you got out of there, but it looks really good and maybe it could get me out of here. There's something to be said about the value of a person at the bottom that is always true about the person. A friend of mine in Africa sent me a video just this week, and it was a guy, and he's speaking in Afrikaans, a completely different language, but he's telling a little story about what Jesus does, and he has a coin. It's a five rand coin from South Africa, and he said, you know, we know exactly how much this coin is worth. It's worth five rand. It'll get you five rand worth of stuff wherever you go. By the way, five rand is about 50 cents. A little less than 50 cents. And he's out in a field, and and there's cows behind him, and then he turns around, and there's a cow pie. There's a cow pie there. And this guy, in the video, he takes that coin, and he goes, now, what happens if I put the coin, and he pushes the coin into the cow pie? Anybody want it? Most people would go, not for 50 cents. And he goes, you know, this is kind of like some of our lives. Our lives become surrounded by things that are a mess and stinky and undesirable. And then this guy, in the video, he reached, I should have probably shown the video, but you wouldn't understand the language, so I didn't. But he reaches in and he pulls it back out. How disgusting is that? And he goes, is it still worth five rand? Yeah. And in fact, 
when he takes it to the store, the guy at the register probably has no idea where it's been. Isn't that cool? So here's the thing. When we start at the bottom, we recognize that every human being, no matter how ugly and distasteful the circumstances of their lives, every human being has built-in worth given by God. I don't care who you meet, how nasty they are to us. I don't care how messed up and broken they seem. Every human being is important enough that God would die for them even if they were the only human being. That's why this works so well from the bottom up. And that means there's room for everybody because there's this sense that, you know what, if we start with kings and rulers and presidents and queens and, and, and rich people, that at some point we'll go, that's enough. We don't need them. We've got a good thing going here. But God turns that on its head and says, no, no, no. I come like a baby through childbirth in a stable so that people whose lives are messed up can see me. There's room for everyone. So when the Pharisees stood there and said, I cannot believe that you would spend time with these people. Jesus turns around and says, these are exactly the people I came to spend time with. And that is just heartwarming to me. Because here's the thing, folks. At some point in our lives, if you haven't already, you will feel like I am the lowest of the low. And then, my friends, remind yourself that you're exactly the one Christ came for. That's why we go so low. So I want to challenge you. If that's the case, if that's what Jesus did, if that's how he handled himself and where he positioned himself, where are we going to position ourselves? Where do we stand? Who, whose table is the tax collector's table today? And so you know, think about this a little bit with me. I'm going to actually invite you to respond verbally. And you may blow me away. I don't know. This is always a little scary for me. But think about where are the places today that if we were to go and hang out, there would be like a tax collector's table in Palestine. Help me think about that. The Lord's Diner. Yeah. Homeless people who don't smell so good, who've messed up their lives. Yep. Where else? Strip club. Strip club. I was waiting for that one. I was waiting for that one. Josh? At bars? Yeah, there's a lot of broken people at bars. Especially the ones that are sitting by themselves. Yeah. Where else? At church? (laughs) Oh, man, that hurts. There's some messed up people in church that Jesus would choose to hang out with. Sorry? Yeah, so maybe the people who are here illegally and kind of try to stay hidden because they're skirting the law. Yeah, drug addicts whose lives are broken because I have tried to fix it with some kind of a chemical and it just breaks my life even more. Yeah, that's one I was going to. And in fact, 
the most distasteful probably in our culture today is if Jesus were to hang out at a prison, he'd probably spend time talking to a pedophile. That's hard for me to take. I just can't even. It's the lowest, isn't it? That's low. That's low. So here's the thing. Where are we going to position ourselves? Well, I want to tell you, as a preacher and as a pastor, I tell you, we got to go there to those dark places. But I understand as a human being that standing in those dark places is scary and costly. So not only where are we going to position ourselves, but then how in the world do we stand there when we get there? Just to inspire you, here's a quote by Charles Spurgeon, incredible preacher. He said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Spurgeon had this sense that, you know what? If somebody is going to careen their way to perdition, (laughs) they're going to do it in spite of us, but not because of us. We will wrap our arms around their knees and tug them and hold them back and we will do everything we can. We will pray for them. We will counsel them. We will spend time with them. We will feed them. We will love them. We will do whatever we can to keep them from going there, especially when they are our loved ones. Right? When they're the ones that we have grown up with, when they're the ones that we have parented, when they're the parents that we have grown up around, we will go to the gates of hell with them to try and bring them back. Don't ever apologize for that. Don't ever apologize for that. You're standing there with Spurgeon. Isn't that cool? So, if we do that together in some way, our church kind of moves to the margins of society. Yesterday we had, uh, and Friday night, we had an event here where uh, the man that's been nominated to be our next conference superintendent came and spoke. And, and I, I really appreciate Bruce. Pray for us tomorrow. Um, Jared alluded to it. Uh, Jared and I are part of the group that get to vote on him. And so we'll be making a decision tomorrow on his leadership. One of the things that he said to me that I appreciate is he said, for some reason I have done my best ministry at the margins. Said this to me weeks ago. And I just kind of agree. And sometimes maybe it's that we're just going for the low-hanging fruit. I mean, it's the people whose lives are really broken and messed up that are actually looking for help. The people who think they've got it all together are the ones that are the hardest to convince. And so maybe our church finds a way to stand with those people at that place. And so some of you have been there with me at the food pantry. Because some of those people are at the margins. And some of you spent the night this last week like uh, Linnea and I did with family promise families that are 
in really bad places, homeless, trying to put their lives back together. And some of us make decisions to go on mission trips, whether it's to Africa or Oklahoma. <laughs> They're kind of the same. Now, somebody in Oklahoma is going to be listening to the podcast, and I'm going to get a little email. God loves you, too, in Oklahoma. But, you know, there's this sense that when we see people whose lives are just marked over and over again by sin and brokenness, we want to run there. There's something wired into the DNA of a follower of Jesus Christ that that says, if that's what's going on, I'm going to go there and try and change it. Influence it. Make it different. We are going to be a marginalized church, not in the sense that we get shoved off to the side by others because we're irrelevant. Here's what I think. The only church that is irrelevant is the church that forgets the Christ they serve. That makes you irrelevant. But if we love and serve Christ, we are never irrelevant. And we are only marginalized by others in their minds And when we go stand with those people in those places, we shine the light the brightest. And so I want to challenge you to think with me about how we bring hope to broken people. I'm incredibly blessed here. I was joking with some people this week that, that, we, that came in for this event this weekend and weren't real familiar with our church here and they were asking about our church and some of the things we do and I mentioned that, that, that Sid Mead's here, a counselor, and I said, you know, it's interesting to me, I think Gordon and Shirley were in on this conversation that they appointed me to a church that when I came here there were three counselors and I wore two of them out. And I think that's because of my dysfunction more than anybody else's, but... But I am so thankful that this has been a church where we've had people who were trained and equipped and ready to speak with those who are in the most broken places and we give hope to the broken. And we continue to do that and we will. We also give love to the wounded. So when somebody comes in here and they are weeping tears of sorrow, we will run to them and put our arm around them in some form. I got a check in the mail this week for our church. It's not a big check. It's not a huge thing. We're not going to go out and start a new building campaign off of this by any stretch. But I got a little check in the mail from a family member of someone from our church that passed away. And they wrote a little card, and I'm going to share it with our, our board this afternoon as they meet. But they wrote a little card, and they said, You showed us so much love and so much love to our family. We want to pay for all the Easter lilies this year. So we're going to buy Easter lilies in the next couple of weeks, and they're going to be all the way across the front here. Because we love the wounded. Even when the wounded is a little kid standing up here that somebody made fun of him on the playground, we love him. And we have grace for the condemned. The rest of society may look at some of these people and go, "Uh uh-uh, we have no praise for you. I just can't even. But we will be reminded by the example of Christ that it is for the sick that he came. And so we will have grace for those that society condemns. I'm challenged all the time. Every time I... uh, I get to interact with Crystal Sparkman in our church. You know, she works downtown among the homeless. That's her job. 
And every time I get to spend a little bit of time with her, I say, hey, Crystal, tell me a story. How it and she's got to be careful because she's protecting some anonymity and things like that. But she's got some awesome stories about people who come in and they think life is over. And she gets to tell them, no, it's not. Life is about to begin. It's going to be hard. But when you hit the bottom, the only way to go is up. We will have grace for the condemned. I know a couple of you have done this literally. And you, when we partner with Rivercrest, that a couple of you have gone down and helped provide a meal for the work release guys down there. That walk to church from jail and then after church and after the meal walk back. Literally the condemned. But for some of us, it's the person in line at Dylan's who, uh, once the total comes up, their head falls and they go, I can't buy all this. And the rest of the world goes, then what are you doing here? Or for some of us, it's that teenage kid that is so worked up and angry that he just wants to hurt everybody around him. And we come alongside and say, no, no, no. You can get through this. You'll be okay. We'll make sure that you don't do it alone. And so my friends, if we're going to imitate Christ, somehow we have got to walk into some dark places. And standing there is not always easy, but we never, never stand there alone.